0: Good evening, everyone, or good morning, or good afternoon, whatever the case may be. Wherever you are on this rotating and rocking and rolling globe, we're, uh, we're going to talk a bit about California tonight from obviously a very unusual perspective. I mean, there's so many unusual things going on that when I talked with uh, Rick Levine earlier in the week and I said, uh, let's do something really different and I didn't really go through a lot of details as to what I wanted to talk about. And then it came back with the title of tonight's show, which you're going to want to go there anyway. So you go to TheOtherSideOfMidnight.com, click on click on that. You know, that's our URL. When you click on that, it will take you to our homepage. And then you will see the banner for tonight's show, the 6th of July of 2009. We are halfway through the year. I mean, can you believe it? halfway through the year and I got to tell you you're going to have to fasten your seat belts because the second half of this year uh apropos some comments I made a few days ago I think on the air that the 30th of June marked the literal 19.5 point of this year 2019 and of course 19.5 and the 219 is gives you uh, uh 39 which is the double tetrahedron in the sphere, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So anyway, I said to Rick, let's do something kind of apropos of what's going on. And he sent me this really amazing banner, the disintegration of reality. And I thought, well, you can't get any more Twilight Zone than that. So that's where we are tonight. So before I do anything further, let me talk a bit about this this earthquake because we're going to be discussing this earthquake uh, back and forth for the rest of the evening in various modalities. On July 4th at 10.33 a.m. local time, a 6.4 hit uh, Southern California, well to the east, 240-some miles to the east of Los Angeles, but just north of uh, a place I know quite well, which is Barstow, California which is where the Goldstone NASA JPL Tracking Station, the the major Goldstone Earth uh, Station of the uh, Deep Space Instrumentation Facility, also called the Deep Space Network, this uh, field of very, very, very large antennas, 70 meters and, you know, 30 meters and all that out there. It's it struck just north of there near a little town of... Let me see if I can remember the little town. Uh it's one that apparently has thirty thousand people in it, but um uh, it's it's um it's called Ridgecrest. Mojave Desert. Um they say here 125 miles north of northeast of Los Angeles. Anyway, so on um on the morning of July fourth, which is the American birthday, uh celebration by one and all, um this very Potentially disastrous quake struck. I mean, 6.4 is nothing to sneeze at. Now, one of the things I picked up as I've been doing research, which I had forgotten because many years ago I thought I understood the Richter scale, but each number on the Richter scale, like four, five, six, they're separated by a factor of 32. So a four is 32 times more powerful than a three, and a five is 32 times more powerful than a 4 and you work your way up the scale. So this this earthquake, um, 6.4 was nothing to sneeze at. Now apparently there were some windows broken and there was uh, stuff knocked off shelves in supermarkets and liquor stores and all that but nobody got really injured and nobody died. So fast forward the film uh, that was Thursday morning. Friday night uh, and I think local time uh, 7.13, it, it hits again. Within a few miles of the epicenter of the 6.4, there's a 7.1. Now, that's like 30 times more powerful than the one on the previous morning. And furthermore, and this is we're going to get into this in, in, in deep discussion. That was a pun, as you'll hear in a moment with uh, my guest of the morning, who I will introduce momentarily. But the first one was rather, eh, it wasn't really, really deep. It was kind of a mid-range. It was 6.6 miles down. The second one, the 7.1, was six-tenths of a mile down. Now, these numbers, um, I had someone who was a, uh, kind of a numerologist send me a whole analysis looking just at the numbers, and they came to the conclusion, and I'm going to talk about this you know, as we go through the uh, evening and morning. They came to the conclusion that um, this isn't natural, and why would that be something we want to talk about? Well, before we get into that, let me introduce my guests. Our, our first guest of the morning, if I can do this properly here is Rick Levine. Now, why did I want Rick on? Rick is a hyperdimensional astrologer, a term I've kind of coined, and we'll see whether he kicks and screams about that. His bio says he's a professional astrologer since 1976, becoming a respected leader in the global astrological community. He's the past president of the Washington State Astrological Association, or rather, Astrology Association, Co-founder of StarIQ.com, a founding trustee of Kepler College, and co-author of eight years of Barnes & Noble's annual Your Astrology Guide. Rick wrote a daily horoscope column for nearly 17 years, delivered via the Internet to literally millions of readers per day through tarot.com. He is the subject of a DVD, Quantum Astrology, Science, Spirit, on our place in the cycles of history. His internet videos reach tens of thousands of people every month. And in 2018, Rick was awarded the prestigious International Astrologer of the Year Award by the Krishnamuni Institute of Astrology in Kolkata, India. I'm probably mangling that terribly. On a recent lecture tour to Istanbul, Istanbul or Istanbul? I think that may be a typo, Rick. Uh, Rick was awarded the coveted Fomalot Award for Astrological Excellence, Fomalot being a uh, rather bright star, by the Turkish School of Astrology. His current video teachings are available at www.patreon.com slash Ricklevine or Rick Levine. They run all those letters together, and there's a whole bunch of other links under his bio on the other side of Midnight. Georgia Lambert, who you have met many, many, many times on the show, has over 50 years of experience in the field of esoteric studies, receiving formal training in Eastern and Western disciplines, methods, and traditions. She was the first to be licensed by the state of California to teach meditation and esoteric physiology, an experimental course she presented for three years at the College of Osteopathic Medicine of the Pacific. She also was uh, part of uh, Manley Hall's Foundation in Southern California, and is our kind of resident metaphysician. So, boys and girls, welcome to the other side. Good evening, or good morning. Good evening, and (laughs)
1: thanks. Good evening, and thanks for
0: having us. I hope I didn't mangle that uh, intro too much, Rick. Uh,
1: No, but but it is Krishnamurti Institute in Kolkata, Kolkata. 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 (laughs) which used to be Calcutta.
0: Oh, that's – okay, okay. So the spelling all got changed, and that's why I didn't rec- – okay. Well, you it live did. and learn. You live and learn. So, Georgia, let's start with this earthquake because we were talking before we went on the air that you live not very far from where this is all taking place, kind of southwest by – I thought I calculated something like I, – I think I was way overestimating how far away you are. I would say it's probably more like uh, less than 200 miles and uh you you've you been feeling it,
2: oh yeah yeah it was it was very interesting <laughs> the the other night. let me tell you, are we
0: talking about the one in the morning or the one on on friday night last night
2: oh, on Friday night, yeah last night
0: oh this 7 the, the seven thirteen one okay
2: right, right,
0: what were you doing
2: well, this is very glamorous uh I have a great game who drinks out of the bathroom sink when she wants water.
0: Ah, oh, I thought you were so, going to say something else. Okay. <laughs> so,
2: so I was in the bathroom turning on the faucet for the dog. And all of a sudden um, I got really, really dizzy. And just a second or two after that, it started shaking. And of course, you know, we had had the one, earlier that morning so I thought oh, you mean, you you mean know, the
0: previous morning or, or we talking- previous morning yeah. Yeah, yeah
2: and I thought oh gosh aftershock you know and I and then it started to wind down and I thought okay it's winding down and then it came in stronger and I thought oh boy this one is either bigger or closer oh because uh, you know you get used to those kinds of tremblers here in Southern California but this one you know, I was I was both in the Silmar earthquake and in the Northridge earthquake, so I thought this one's this one's going to be big. And I held on to the sink and held on to the dog and just <laughs> <laughs> stayed there until it was so over. So when
0: you say it was really rock and roll, you know, for those folks that listen to us because we have listeners all over the world, many luckily are not in earthquake zones. What does something like that feel like physically?
2: Well, it depends on the kind of quake. For instance, the Northridge quake was like a, just a, an abrupt, uh, sharp slam. And then the whole thing shook. This one was like being on a boat. It was very odd. It was very rolling and gentle. Now, I'm sure it wasn't at the epicenter. But from where I was, it was it was very boat-like. Uh and I don't remember one exactly like that before. Uh, let, me, let me tell you something interesting. One of my students uh, who, who lives down here in Southern California um, mentioned, and you can check this out. I haven't checked it out yet, but she said that the, uh, the town of Ridgecrest is kind of in the middle of a triangle Of three military installations, the Naval Warfare Base, Mm. which is Navy, Fort Irwin, which is Army, and Edwards, which is Air Force.
0: Oh, that's right. Edwards is up there too. See, I'm familiar with the Navy, which is the China Lake installation. I actually did a project with a physicist at China Lake many, 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 many many years ago. And it was very difficult communicating because, of course, everything going in and coming out has to be cleared. So it was very – it it was an unusual project i I'll, I'll just say that so yeah that's in in the area where we have a lot of top secret stuff going on
2: yeah but i thought being in the middle of that triangle of the of the three um military uh groups was kind of poetic
0: yeah and as i said just a few miles away as the crow flies is goldstone which is the major nasa downlink station of the dsn for all the unmanned spacecraft all over the solar system. Uh both ours and we also share time with other nations where, you know, they when they send data back to Earth, a lot of it comes through the NASA D S N and then is forwarded on to them like a kind of like a packet service. So this is a very interesting part of the country.
2: Yeah, well, you know, we've got lots of stuff here in Southern California. So go back to how you were feeling, because what I'm intrigued
0: with, and I think this feeds into what Rick and I are going to talk about in a minute, uh, this this blend of physics, metaphysics, and science, you felt something before the show began, before the sink started to move away from you and the great Dane.
2: Yeah, it's like, and, and I know other people have this too, uh, much stronger than I do but it's kind of like the air gets warpy is the only way i can describe it hmm. it just gets swimmy
0: no, d- d- keep talking d- define what swimmy means
2: uh it just it, it you're slightly lightheaded slightly dizzy um And of course, you know, some of the kinds of meditation work that I'm involved in uh, involves the area in front of the forehead. And of course the pituitary gland is there. And it's been discovered that uh, when the pituitary gland of pigeons is messed with, they can't find their way back. They can't navigate. Hmm. So there's, there's something within the pituitary that uh, gears into the, to the field is the only way i can think about it
0: well the normal physicist would say you're hypersensitive to magnetic disturbances but i'm not going to say that i'm going to say that this is so consistent with our own model of earthquakes going back many 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 years which are is they are they are torsion phenomenon they are sudden breaks in the field the torsion field and because consciousness and the field are intimately connected And you're a sensitive, you pick up on this. And the key thing here is you felt uh, wavy before the actual seismic energy arrived as sound waves rocking the sink. Right. Now, that's really important. And you say it was like the interval was long enough that you noticed you started feeling weird. And then the ground started shaking.
2: Yeah, weird enough because we had had that that earthquake the day before, uh, and it it flashed through my mind, is this going to be another earthquake?
0: Hmm. Is this going to be? And then it was. Yep, sure was. Can you estimate roughly the time interval between feeling
2: wonky and
0: the, the actual physical manifestations of the rocking and rolling?
2: Oh, just a second or two.
0: Oh. But see, but, there, but,
2: but it was enough for me to register it in my brain that is this going to be another quake?
0: Yeah, because one is limited to the speed of sound in rock, which is very fast, it's thousands of feet per second. And the other is not limited, we don't think, even to the speed of light. So you were getting the instantaneous, it's happening. And then the physical effects followed, you say, by about a second. That's really interesting
2: i I've heard of of some people that can feel them uh, uh days in advance um, I, that I'm not in that category at all i'm just I'm just sensitive to electrical stuff well
0: but wait, wait wait, wait, wait. maybe you are, and this is not applicable to this experience because if this was not, and we'll talk about this through the evening, a normal earthquake if this in fact was some kind of weapon that is being demonstrated that is being used in some geopolitical maneuver against well who would it be against obviously if it's on the middle of all those research facilities highly secret you know military whatever it's either against the US military and or it's against the top of the command structure which be would be the current president of the United States. Thoughts?
2: Don't even. I don't even know how to speculate on that. <laughs> well, if this is
0: a directed energy manifestation, i.e., technology sh- shifting the field,
2: In, unless unless they're practicing.
0: Yeah, but why would they practice? Why would they have to practice twice? And then. Initiate all those aftershocks, which really, I mean, think of the location. They're so lucky. People are so lucky that so few live in that area because a yeah. 7.1 underfoot is really, you know, somebody should have died and nobody has died. Isn't that interesting? I mean, this almost takes us from the realm of terrestrial guys playing war games to a higher level of something which is able to manifest this demonstration if that model is assumed, but in a way that nobody has died. And that's statistically really weird.
2: Yeah, if that 7.1 had hit you know, under Los Angeles, it would have been pretty devastating. Oh my
0: God, Katie barred the door. Rick, uh, jump in here. What what are your thoughts on this? Because you obviously, you live in Seattle, so you're not feeling any of this. But you're looking at what's going on, and you have a brain, and you connect dots. And what have your thoughts been well, over a the couple, last few uh, days? Well,
1: uh, uh, um, a couple of things. First of all, I did live almost a decade in Los Angeles and experienced several earthquakes there, including the 1987 Whittier quake, which was quite strong. And the the um, three or four quakes that I actually experienced – um, and since i 've been in Seattle, there was um, one earthquake here that was that was uh, um, registerable on the map of perception uh, significant even um, the The thing is and and Georgia kind of used the words and, and as she said this, immediately my mind went to an experience that I have had in each of the quakes i 've experienced. And it's an experience that I've only had as distinct experiences in a couple of other instances. Let me tell you what the experience is first, and let me tell you when I've had it. The experience is that what what Georgia called wavy and or wonky, the experience is that those things which are solid, those things which are three-dimensional and solid kind of begin to shimmer and feel like there's an, a sense of, 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 of transparency. The word I would use is is ionized, which may not mean anything to, you know, it, there's just a, a feeling of what happens when, when, when things begin to, like, buzz at a very, very high frequency. and And during an earthquake or just prior to it, looking around – the buildings, the ground, the everything seems to have that kind of um, solid isn't solid anymore kind of of, of, a, of a feeling to it.
0: You guys That's, both have been out in the desert and you've seen the sun baking oh yeah, the yeah, desert yeah. and you see the heat waves, the shimmering. Is it yeah. kind
2: of like that? It's, it's not uh, quite
0: for me. Go ahead, go ahead for
2: for me it's kind of like that if you could translate that visual into a physical feeling.
1: Oh and for me it was a for me it was visual but it was not quite the shimmering. It was a much higher frequency and more energetic. It wasn't like fuzzy hazy, it was very sharp. But let me tell you the two other instances in my life where I've had that identical experience. I mean enough like it was like deja vu ish. One time was I, many years ago, back in the, geez, back in the uh, early 80s, maybe late 70s. Um, I had the distinct, um, I was going to say pleasure, experience of spending um, some time with Yuri Geller. Um, and, and I watched more spoons and forks and pieces of metal tie themselves <laughs> up in the weird, weird knots. Than, uh, than, than I would even care to admit that I saw, but I did. And what, and what I took away from that particular day, without judging that phenomena. Is that every time a damn spoon began to bend? When I looked at it, it looked like the metal was like jumping, and it was like the it wasn't quite transparent, but it looked like the actual um, fork or spoon was 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 kind of like again I have come back to that word like ionized. It looked like it was like 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 jittering. I wish you could see my hand going back and forth, oh. kind of like high frequency. All right. That was That's one other time. The other time where I've had that identical experience um, is in um, – let's just say in my youth when I had some very intense uh, psychedelic experiences where that which is solid becomes um, not solid and buzzes with its own energy as if it's alive and buzzing, and – And the earthquakes for me that I've experienced all had that same kind of feeling that that which is solid is not really solid. Solidity is an illusion, and you get to somehow see its true nature, which is more transparent and fluid Hmm. and in some other state of matter.
0: This almost sounds like frequency matching.
1: It absolutely does. Now, one other thing I want to say just very quickly is that, and there's a reason why I want to get this on the record, is that the (laughs) second earthquake was actually at 8.19 p.m. according to the um, uh, um, USGS. It was 8.19 p.m., 11 miles um, outside of Ridgecrest. And the reason why the time is so important is that at that moment, within about five, yeah, within about within about twenty nine twenty, within about ten minutes of Earth time, the planet Saturn and the nodal axis—that's the place where the intersection of the moon's orbit around the Earth and the Earth's orbit around the moon—is the intersection of those two orbits.
3: Right. Saturn
1: right now is at that nodal point, and that axis was on the horizon. At Ridgecrest at 8:19 p.m. on at the moment that the earthquake struck. On and that's the, pretty crazy.
0: On the eastern horizon, the rising horizon.
1: It's on the rising on the eastern oh, horizon. My, my, my. Saturn Saturn was actually at 17 degrees 29 minutes mm-hmm. of Capricorn. The nodal axis is at uh, 17 degrees, 43 minutes, and the actual eastern point itself was 17 degrees, 21 minutes, all from a celestial standpoint, close enough to create rock and roll. Now, the interesting thing about this, and there's more to say on this, but I don't want to hijack the conversation completely, is that Saturn and Pluto are coming into their once every 33 to 35 year alignment and they are both retrograde meaning they're on the same side of the sun as the um as the earth is meaning that these planets are very close very close um to the earth right now and you add to the fact that mercury in its regular back-and-forth cycle, was stationary, turned retrograde, turning mm. retrograde tomorrow. But a- around that two- or three-day period when Mercury um, technically makes its station to turn retrograde or direct, it's like it stops moving from Earth's point of view and, and gr- gains tremendous uh, torsional integrity, power. Um, uh, um, uh, Newton would have called it um, uh, inertial gravity.
0: Now, when does this happen again?
1: Well, the actual moment that that um, Mercury actually turns direct um, is uh, is tomorrow evening.
0: So we're in a Mercury so, retrograde right now.
1: Well, not until technically not until tomorrow evening, but practically Mercury ain't moving. So Mercury is holding still, um, and Saturn and and the nodal axis was on the same. Parallel is on the same um, plane um, as the um, horizon of the Earth at Ridgecrest, and just the the astrology is pretty astounding. There's more, but that's enough. That's that's enough for now.
2: Hmm. And and metaphysically, Saturn is considered the lord of karma.
1: Well, it is, but it's also it's also the planet of the three dimensional reality. I was just going to say
0: it's the planet right, of reality, right. and that's yeah. the theme of our show tonight. So well, it's. Go ahead let me just
1: say let me just say that that it's been said for um you know for, uh, historically that Saturn is the planet of reality and then the planets past Saturn like Neptune these are the planets of of surreal dream imagination but Rob hand one of our modern um astrology uh um, wise men um says it might be that Neptune is reality and Saturn is simply the illusion that there was one.
0: <laughs> That's oh. a nice
1: little twist.
0: Wheels okay. within wheels within wheels.
1: That's my opening volley. Back to you, boss. Mm.
0: <laughs> well, what, what all this... Oh, I, the bottom line here is the, the, the celestial portents, which in the hyperdimensional model are critical, apparently have created this window and if you want to propose that somebody walked through and did something in this window to either get attention or to change the future or to change reality, you couldn't have picked a better time, right?
1: That's right. And if no one did it, the universe couldn't have picked a better time either. Oh, it's also halfway in between two eclipses.
0: Hmm. Somehow
1: and eclipses often coordinates with earthquakes, often.
0: Well, that there's probably a mundane explanation having to do with gravity fields and all that. I'm I'm, I'm looking at something a little more exotic here, which I'm is. Sure so, you are. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you if you if you think in terms of hyperdimensional windows, um, anyway, hold it there. My guest this morning, Georgia Lambert, Rick Levine, and guess what? We're on a trip to here. You're on the other side of midnight. My name is Richard C. Hoagland and we shall, hopefully, return. back, everyone, to The Other Side of Midnight on this uh, Saturday evening, July 6th, as we grapple with something which is immortal and is of deep interest to us all, which is – did he just say nothing is real? I mean, what is reality? Do we live in multiple realities? Do we time shift between dimensions? Are, are our realities shared part-time and not shared other times? Can we change our realities? Can we focus and actually move between timelines? And did we, all of us en masse over the last several years, beginning maybe in uh, November of 2016, did we move into a totally unprecedented, unexpected, unanticipated, and maybe unendurable reality? You're on the other side of midnight Let me welcome my guests back, uh, Georgia Lambert and Rick Levine And I think, Rick, this is something that you were thinking about When you sent me some outlines of things to talk about The Beatles and Strawberry Fields and Nothing is Real
3: Always know, sometimes think it's me But you know I know and it's a dream I think I know of me All wrong That is, I think I disagree Let me take you down Cause I'm going to Strawberry field Nothing is real Nothing to get hung about Strawberry field forever Strawberry feels forever. Strawberry
0: feels forever. Okay, Rick, that's about as good a segue as I could arrange. Where do you want to start?
1: Exactly with that song, that's exactly what's on my mind. There have been a lot of people who have talked a lot about the quote-unquote paradigm shift about the movement from Newtonian to um, to Einsteinian or quantum physics about um, the shift um, that we've all gone through. However, I think the shift is even greater than many people have imagined. And, and it began <clears throat> with a crazy discovery by a French chemist, uh, Lavoisier, who is credited with discovering oxygen. But but the, and this is in the 18th century, but the interesting thing that we moderners don't understand is that Lavoisier didn't just scientifically discover oxygen. He was the first person to actually claim that there were things that were invisible that still had substance. I mean, let that sink in for a moment, because what we're talking about here is the relationship between physics and metaphysics. And it used to be, that the dividing line, the wall, between what was physical and what was metaphysical was a wall as, 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 as fixed, as rigid, and as impermeable as Saturn itself. And that that wall, starting with the discovery of oxygen, something that was physical, had substance, and yet was invisible, we've now fallen through this
0: this this uh um uh
1: what's the right word? Into a funny
0: house. Crack in time. Where,
1: yeah, crack in time would work fine where where what physical and metaphysical um are are no longer separate. Um and, and in some ways this is um, corroborated by the understanding of the relationship in modern physics of particle to wave that those things which are solid are not solid. Um, as Einstein said, reality is an illusion, albeit a very persistent one. <laughs> but the fact of the matter is that that the physical world, as we see it, is an illusion that's based upon the intersection of um, high frequency electromagnetic and other, form, other wave forms, other waveforms that create the illusion of that which is solid, and so this idea that that seeing is believing doesn't work anymore. In fact, the um, recently passed Wayne Dyer um, said that actually in these days, believing is seeing. In other words, something has shifted, and and the realization that physical is not necessarily what is real, that we do not end in our skin. Um, I'm sure Georgia will attest to this and has already mentioned the fact that, you know, that space that's in front of our um, pineal glands um, is, you know, is part of us, but it's also, you know, a piece of us. And and the fact is that we have gone through this eye of a needle and and there is no going back. Um, You know, you can go back to um, the writing of uh, Pierre Teilhard de Chardin, um, who hypothesized this new sphere, this this idea that human thought itself would basically encircle the planet and become something unto itself – and with the advent of the World Wide Web and the and communication in high frequency realms, whether it's uh, radio or television or um, you know all these high frequency radiating waveforms, uh, cellular communication, we've now created this exo nervous system, this this uh, kind of uh, frequency envelope around us that has confirmed the fact. That physical does not necessarily describe reality.
0: Georgia.
2: Ex- exactly, and the the metaphysical model states that um, we are moving as we move into this next age, this next two thousand some hundred year period, uh, called you know the age of Aquarius or the age of the seventh ray or you know there's lots of different names for it. But one of its factors is that um humanity's reality, which has been limited to solids, liquids, and gases, is now extending into the next layer of life, which will include um things like what uh curlian photography shows, um In medicine, the energy body that underlies the physical, that's part of the acupuncture system. We're going into this next layer of subtle um, activity, and it's becoming part of our reality. You know, back in in a couple of hundred years ago, they would talk about it as the borderland between this world and another, and the veils are, are growing thin. And they're not only growing thin, they're being rent
1: yep yeah, agreed yep mm. you know and it's interesting that that even the um, media guru in the 1960s and 70s Marshall McLuhan um, who based a lot of his breakthrough ideas um, on the works of the English mystical poet William Blake and on James Joyce McLuhan claimed that that the media that that we use um, in you know the technology actually has um, then we, we create technology, and then technology creates or shapes us. And McLuhan claimed that with the advent of electronic and digital technology, we've actually externalized the biological function of the nervous system and that we actually have created, we flipped out his words, we flipped out, we created an exonervous system.
0: Well, and all, you have, why all you have to do, Rick, is go into a restaurant and look around. What do you see? What's the overwhelming impression you get if you walk into any restaurant? I don't care whether it's McDonald's or some super high-end you know, restaurant in New York. What's the overwhelming impression you have of people at dinner these days?
1: Uh, tell me.
0: They're all sitting around staring at their hands at little blue screens <laughs> and talking to each right. other through their oh, hands.
1: Of of course, and 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 I love to imagine that if 50 years ago you were walking along outside and saw people passing you just talking to themselves, they would be nuts, you know. And yeah. Now they do. I mean, but they're talking. But but here's the thing, Richard. That's so that's so important. Is that this exo nervous system that that is now out there that we all plug into and out of, um, you know, this external mind, whatever we want to call it. Um, we've not only flipped out, but we've gone psychotic. And and, and I mean that not to be funny because neurosis is curable or at least manageable by learning the truth, by discussion, by, by communication, by recreating the past in therapy. However, psychosis is not. You know, schizophrenia is not cured by therapy and by and and by what's going on in the world recently especially over the last several years it's like you can take people with different points of view different perspectives and put them in dialogue and the more they talk the further apart they get there is it's not a neurotic situation where we can repaint the truth we've gone psychotic we've flipped out and freaked out And it is a pretty kind of crazy place we're in these days.
0: I have met more people, you know, because what I do is kind of not normal. And I try to support what I'm doing with evidence. And I'm encountering more and more people who will say to me, I don't believe any of that. I I have my own beliefs. And no matter what evidence I try to array in support of a position or a discovery or whatever – they are immutable, they are unreachable, they're like in bubbles that the bullets will bounce off. Their processes cannot be affected by reality as but Absolutely. by evidence. Yep.
2: yep. But that's that's understandable, you know. Every time we have this great change of an age, uh you have the resistance of all of the old paradigms and belief systems and forms. And so there are those that will lend themselves easily to this new horizon that's opening up. And there are others that are going to fight it tooth and claw to the very end because it's too scary to to move into something different. You know, people will remain in uh, an unsavory situation just because it's known. And that's safer than the unknown, even if the unknown is better. Mm.
1: Yeah, I, I agree with that, but um you know it uh, I think um, uh, Keith just uh, put in the chat box. That <laughs> I belief, saw
0: that. Yes.
1: Belief, belief can't control reality, but I'm not convinced that that's the truth. I don't I don't know that I believe that because I've seen people with 100% belief or denial um, make changes in the external world or in their body that were impossible. Uh, at least if you think that belief can't control reality. I don't know what the limits are here, but I do know that evolution is pushing us into a place where we're going to have to find out what those limits are.
0: I'm not so much thinking it's evolution as is this phasing cyclic physics of a meta-reality, which I think is modulated by the 26,000-year processional cycle. So my question is, are we coming up – because in the astronomy we are, to a once in a 26,000 year moment in the cyclic physics to where all kinds of things will become possible that were not possible in previous ages in those 2,000 year increments because the alignments with the galaxy and the solar system and the earth and the axis and all that has to be just right for this reality to be bendable to be malleable to use george's term to be warpable
2: i think that's true yeah i
1: I would like to think it's true but i don't know and i don't think that we can know because our window into the time um uh, the time span that you're talking about is such a tiny slit it would be like it would be like talking butterfly language to a caterpillar, so the answer is, yeah, in theory, I well, agree with you, but i don't I don't know how to I don't ne- know how to frame it
0: not necessarily so. Are you guys familiar with Isaac asimov's first uh, uh short story called Nightfall
1: oh, I love it it's, oh. one of my, it's absolutely it's absolutely one of my favorite books of all time. It's what's going on now? I, I agree with you. So tell yeah. people
0: about Nightfall and why I'm analogizing it to what we're going through right now on Earth.
1: Well, I, I mean, to me, to me, the the short version of that story is like Asimov's books. They're often hard to distinguish the science fiction from the reality. It takes place on a planet that feels a lot like Earth, except it's a planet where there's no darkness ever because – um, because there's um, uh, two, it's a binary star system and there's several moons, and there's always light, except Once every couple thousand years, there's an alignment that makes complete darkness, and it makes everyone on the planet go completely crazy because no one's ever been in the dark. And they set fire to everything because just looking up, no one's ever seen a star. No one's ever known there was anything out there. And so I think the analogy, Richard, that you're talking about is it's the fear of what we don't know that creates the situation that we do anything to prevent from facing it.
0: That's one level. The other level is the protagonist, the uh, the first-person voice narrating as a yes. incredible story, um, is is kind of assimilating for the reader bits and pieces of information, and one of them is the archaeologists have found looking for what might happen when this once in a hundred-year lifetime, a hundred lifetime event takes place. You know, the 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 two stars align, a moons aligned, there's a total eclipse, so it gets. Dark, 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 which they've never yeah. experienced. They're looking at clues in the ground to where they seem to see evidence of previous civilizations. And
1: exactly, each... and they're just, they just began in the book uncovering another layer, and they're beginning to realize that every 2,000 years there's a new civilization that rebuilds on top of the old one.
0: And a key marker is the carbon and soot occurring because of vast fires.
1: Yes, yeah.
0: Okay, and and they don't understand why would these cultures all end by burning? And then of course, it was the protagonist goes through it, and I'm sorry we're we're spoiling it for those of you who haven't read it. Go go read it anyway. You know our words it's are still
1: a great it's oh, still totally, a, a totally. read. Oh, totally, totally. Isaac
0: yeah. was, Isaac was a genius because he blends science and science fiction seamlessly, in which is what happens in in the best of those those voyages. Anyway. The, the idea was that each culture destroyed itself by fire because they were trying to light the darkness because the darkness was this overpowering phenomenon they'd never experienced, which terrified them to death. So they did anything. They burned anything within reach to keep it light because they'd never known darkness. Okay, fast forward the film to our time. We're finding all kinds of evidence around the Earth and around the solar system based on our work. That we're not the first. We're not the first high-tech civilization which has gone bonkers and totally destroyed itself. And then you have the long trek back up to civilization again over thousands and thousands of years. What if, guys, this madness which is affecting the human species right now, if it goes on, will we in fact – and this is going to sound really down – Will we wind up tearing civilization apart because we can't agree on reality? And we're seeing that all around us now, people who are impervious to facts, impervious to evidence, impervious to normal empirical reality. They live in their own belief system. What if, as the physics keeps changing, these reality systems can compete in the field to create these structured bubbles of separate isolated realities where of course civilization which is communal can't function and we all degrade back we devolve back to where we have to as the physics keeps changing back up this long 26,000 year cycle we start it again and again and again yeah yeah
1: Yeah. you know I, I think I think that what you're saying is very interesting, valid, and true.
0: And terrifying as hell.
1: Well, and terrifying. And as a very quick aside, um, I would just like to acknowledge the fact that it was Isaac Asimov. Isaac Asimov is the reason I became an astrologer, because I became enamored with the protagonist of his foundation trilogy, Harry Seldon, who wasn't an astrologer but developed tools, as many of your listeners I'm sure know, that he could predict the outcome of uh, human history by applying these mathematics to the behaviors of humans and that was so fascinating to me that when I began to learn about astrology all I could think of was Harry
0: Seldon (laughs) Well, as I've been looking at this, George, you're being very silent,
2: I've been (laughs) thinking I'd I'd like to throw in something positive here.
0: (laughs) Yeah, by all means Go ahead
2: Since the 1800s and a lot of the Eastern wisdom uh, coming west with people like uh, Blavatsky and and others, um, it has been said that this time, in this change of an age, we don't have to disappear. That this time, we—it doesn't mean that it will, will be easy. But this time we can make the transition without that severing of the collective consciousness thread.
0: Hmm. And how does that work in the eight minutes we have till the top of the hour?
1: In one word, in one word, it's awareness.
2: That's right. You've got it. Have you noticed enough, if enough people, if uh, whatever that hundredth monkey, uh, you know, Component happens to be if enough people can stay awake and aware during this change, uh, that's enough to keep it together. Have you noticed, uh, regardless of the breakage of the old forms?
0: Sorry to interrupt, but have you noticed? I want to put this in the conversation because we've got eight minutes to talk about it. There's a new buzzword. In social media, in network television, in just common ordinary, you know, people talking to each other, they're they're calling it woke, woke capitalism, woke this, woke that. It's like the mainstream has suddenly gotten the idea that we have been asleep.
2: Ah, it's kind of like the old word grok. Yes, it me, doesn't it? <laughs> uh,
0: well, it's from Heinlein. It's from uh, yeah. the Moon, the uh, the Martian. Not the not the new Martian, the uh, uh, Stranger in a Strange Land, yeah. but yeah, but yeah, woke. Well, suddenly, I'm I'm hearing it and seeing it everywhere, and by yes. people that you never imagined would would think alternate speak. Yeah. Anyway, Georgia, I, I'm sorry, to interrupt. But I want oh, to put no, that no, in no, there. That no. see, to me, that's that's a data point in the favor of your positive model that enough of us will get through this transition. To keep the crazies from really killing what we have built and cherish, and want to continue building.
1: Okay, so just let me interject something here because Georgia said something that that was a moment upsetting um, when I realized that that our conversation. Uh, Richard and and me, Rick, that our conversation might have sounded negative because by no means am I negative about this. And let me tell you in a a very short paragraph why. And the reason is that with the breakdown of the barrier between physical and metaphysical, in metaphysical reality, um, there's no drag, there's no lag of seasons, There's no – it doesn't take time for things to catch up. It's like having a dream. If you – if something happens, boom, everything changes in a second, and you go from this horrific state to this beautiful state or from here to there. And by that same token, we live in a world where, as I said earlier, although we've changed from a Newtonian to a um, quantum paradigm – that because everything that's ever happened and everything that ever will happen is happening simultaneously. It's our brain that gives us the illusion of linearity. I believe many other people do too, that the simple piece of this is that we can change it all on an absolute dime. I we agree
2: with We can turn that.
1: around instantaneously because in the realm of metaphysics, It's like, it's what the Tibetans call the bardo states, those states of consciousness that do not have physical drag, change occurs instantaneously and that I think is our potential, saving grace and it only comes from awareness, increasing awareness, not dumbing it down. This, of course, is one of the big battles on the planet, not just in the United States and England and in Indonesia and the Philippines and so on. The the big battle is between are we going to become more woke or more stupid? And I don't mean stupid, meaning IQ test. I mean more dumbed down.
2: And, of course, the biblical uh, version of that is things changing in the twinkling of an eye. Notice it doesn't say eyes, plural. It's twinkling of an eye. And Kabbalistically, this is the movement of humanity from Malkuth, the lowest sphere, to Yesod, where the final sort of etheric tweaks are put on things before they become physically dense. And so we're, we're moving up a notch uh, to where things can change instantaneously.
1: Yeah, and I would also suggest that the larger piece of this change began in the 1890s, um, as Georgia talked about, not only Madame Blavatsky, but there was a lot of energy that the rise of Theosophy and psychic um, uh, stuff was going on, and that in the and and this was the same period of time in which Freud wrote the Interpretation of Dreams, and it was also the time at which the planets Neptune and Pluto aligned. This is the slowest moving rhythm of the known planets in our solar system. Uh, Neptune catches up with Pluto every 500 years. And they did that in the 1890s. And there was this whole kind of first wave of a taste of the metaphysical predominance over the physical. And I think we're very much still in this particular cycle.
2: And that's the time when you had, uh, Science fiction writers emerge playing with concepts like time travel. You saw this in the arts where uh, instead of just painting a bowl of fruit, they question what would that fruit look like if you could look at it from different perspectives all at the same time, at the same instant. Um, the, the famous painting Nude Descending a Staircase is, is like still pictures of a, of a film it's yeah. it's a sequence so all of these concepts were coming into humanity in all kinds of different ways you right. know i'm
1: and again and again going back to technology that was the same time that we began manufacturing higher frequency electromagnetic waves marconi and tesla that's that's when that was occurring on a technological point of view
0: right there's a psychologist and i'm trying to remember his name and i was trying to google while you guys were talking and I, I obviously have it wrong. I thought it was Fitzgerald, but it may not be. He has discovered something really remarkable based on standardized IQ tests. He says, and again, I wish I could remember who this guy is. And in the break, I'll try to figure it out. That based on multiple phasic tests, IQ tests of different forms from all over the world, not just from the U.S., from all nations, you know, apparently some kind of UN database that we have all been collectively, according to the tests, been getting smarter and smarter for over a hundred years. Now you look around at the world and that's obviously nuts. (laughs) So, so, I mean, this is why the mainstream has said he's, he's crazy because obviously that data doesn't support the conclusion. So I'll tell you what, we have to pick this up on the other side of the break. Uh, My guests this morning are, Rick Levine and Georgia Lambert and we're talking about cycles astrology Would you like to die? And you're on the other side of midnight. My name is Richard C. Hoagland, and we shall return.